I just think it's just a wonderful thing. It's most likely only going to happen very, very few times in your life and mm. yeah, you just need to <laughs> try and enjoy it as much as you can. Welcome to Breastfeeding with ABA, a podcast brought to you by volunteers with the Australian Breastfeeding Association. Breastfeeding with ABA is a podcast about breastfeeding, made by parents for parents. In this episode, we'll be talking about supporting the new mother and how we provide love to babies without milk. We're recording this podcast in different parts of Australia and we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording and which you are listening to in this podcast. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and to any Aboriginal people who are listening today. We also acknowledge the long history of oral storytelling in this country and the Indigenous women of Australia who have been living, working, birthing, breastfeeding and raising children successfully in this country for tens of thousands of years. In each episode, you will hear from different parents from all around Australia. My name is Janet, and I'm a volunteer breastfeeding counsellor and community educator with the Australian Breastfeeding Association and a mum and a grandmother. I am speaking from Mornington Peninsula in Victoria and on Boon Warren country. And today I'm speaking with Dan, a dad, about his experience supporting his breastfeeding in his family. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Dan. I'm a dad to Emily, who's four and a half, and John, who's about 11 months. And I live in Perth, Western Australia, uh, Wadjuk country. Now, research tells us that support from a partner and those closest to her makes a big difference to a mother and baby when breastfeeding. A mother can be up to 10 times more likely to breastfeed if they have the partner's support and a partner who wants their baby to be feeding this way. So today we're going to chat about how parents and family and friends can provide that support and chat about common questions partners might have. I have three daughters, all of whom have grown up, and I have six grandsons aged 10, 8, 6, 5, 9 months and 7 months. My girls grew up in a breastfeeding family and they were surrounded by breastfed babies. So this has helped them to know some of what to expect when they had their own children. When they were pregnant, I ensured that they attended breastfeeding education classes with their partners. So this helped them both to prepare for their babies. The first two boys were born in Alice Springs. And so while I visited them quite often, I spent most of my support time on the phone or doing video calls. This daughter returned to to Victoria before her third baby was born and the other two live close by. So now I've been able to have lots of contact with my grandsons. So what about you, Dan? Before you had children, did you know much about breastfeeding? I didn't really, which is strange to say because I'm one of six children. I've got five sisters and we're all breastfed. And um, my wife's family, she's one of four and they're all breastfed. And I often think it's it's kind of strange how we don't really, I mean, outside ABA, we don't really talk about breastfeeding that much. I think it's one of those things that everyone expects to be just a natural thing to happen. But all the time, women don't get the support to really know what to do and, and exactly how, how it all works and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think he was saying earlier with the introduction with the Indigenous people, I think that's almost like a classic example, like for thousands of years that, breastfeeding knowledge has been passed 
among women from aunties and mothers and all, all in one group. Whereas now, you know, with the sort of nuclear families and Western nuclear families and the way we all live, some of that information just gets lost. And so, yeah, I think ABA is a great way to um, to share that knowledge and the interests of health for everyone. Where did your first contact with ABA come in? I think my wife called the ABA at one stage. I hadn't put much thought into it before our first child was born. I know my wife wanted to breastfeed and then we just ran into some troubles. And then she rang the ABA. Yeah, they were a wonderful help. <laughs> so we sort of went from there. Yeah. Lots of parents before they have their babies don't have much to do with small babies and they're really surprised how much time and effort goes into looking after one tiny little person from both the mother and the father. What surprised you about your first baby? Probably the dependence that the baby has on the mum. Like obviously you, you expect that to happen, but I was, I was definitely still surprised at the magnitude of how much our first one depended on mum all the time, sort of, sort of making my role in it, really focusing what my role is and that, and that was, you know, support mine in every way I sort of could sort of thing. Some dads feel a bit left out. Did you have that at all? Not for me, no, not not really. I, I still did things like we, like so every day, night, for example, was like I'd always do the bath, always bonding and things like that as much as you can. But just recognising that, well, the way I saw it anyway, my role was to make sure that my wife had everything that she needed as far as food and other things around the house and, and things like that. Did you know anything much about breastfeeding before? Emily was born? No, not really. Outside of just an expectation that breastfeeding was just something that just happened and it was as simple as that. I definitely know now it's not quite as simple as all that. <laughs> Some of the things that we need parents to know is that breast milk is all the baby needs for the first six months of their life and it's the most important food for the first 12 months of the baby's life and continues to be of value because that's the other thing that sometimes comes up as people think that if babies, once they get onto solid food, the milk doesn't matter as much, but it really is still important well into their second year. Yeah, I mean, I always think about it in terms of what are we evolved to do, you yeah. know what I mean? And so, you know, we're, we're evolved to have babies drink milk for an extended period of time mm-hmm. when, they, when they're born. I always remember a quote, which I, which I always love, evolution is smarter than you. <laughs> And the other thing that surprises a lot of parents is the number of times a baby will feed in 24 hours. I mean, you think of it, oh, yes, they'll probably have a night feed, but you don't think of the fact that they usually feed between 8 and 12 times at least in 24 hours. Yeah. It means that there's an awful lot of time spent just sitting and feeding. The way I think about it is just going back to that evolutionary sense. The baby knows when it's hungry. It's, it's designed to ask for food. And, and, and again, the way I understand anyway of the letdowns and things that work with breastfeeding, it's mother's designed to respond to that. So even the physics of it with a small stomach is going to mean, yeah, a lot of feeding. And from my experience, I can uh, confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that surprises people is that babies don't feed in a set pattern because for some reason over the last few generations we've come to this idea that they feed on a schedule every four hours and when they want frequent feeding at some times of the day and then other days they seem to be chill and not worry about it too much at all. I think one of the things to remind parents about is that we don't eat the same amount every day. 
on hot days we tend to have lots of drinks and lighter meals and some days we're expending a lot of energy so we eat more. Yeah, and, well, if we're, we're adults, we're more conditioned to go to whatever eating schedule that we've been accustomed to where mm-hmm. as a baby they don't have that conditioning to be any particular way outside of what's absolutely natural to them. Of course, before they're born they have 24-hour on-tap food. So that's yeah, exactly. So what did you do to support Mon and yourself before your baby was born? What did you do during the pregnancy? Was there anything particular? Probably not as it relates to breastfeeding because we sort of, we we didn't know what we didn't know until (laughs) it came up in that first time. I mean, by by our second child, John, we had our mind better wrapped around what was required and what we needed to do and things like that. One of the biggest lessons for me after Emily was born was just thinking about the energy requirements needed for Mon to produce that much milk and feed the baby all the time and how, how difficult it is. You know, I know, I know people joke about women having baby brain or, or whatever, but I think the point is that it uses an incredible amount of energy. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to expend that much energy, you've got to keep the food <laughs> up to <laughs> up to mine. And also even simpler things which you don't expect, things like decision-making takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. If you're able to sort of carve out some areas where you just make executive decisions all the time, that can ease the load a bit. Well, I mean, one of the things in, in particular I suppose I'm thinking about was visitors. Mm-hmm. obviously have a baby and everyone's asking to come and visit and see the baby and once Emily was born and we went through that whole ordeal we sort of learned by the time we got the second one where Mon just empowered me to make all those decisions about when people were coming to visit and what the schedule should look like instead of going to her to ask her all the time are you okay with this person coming along or this family member coming along or or you know, things like that for us second time around it was yeah, I was just making those decisions, which meant Mon didn't have to think about it, which helped us. But yeah. I suppose that's reasonably context-dependent on whether that'll work for you or not. <laughs> Did you use those little tricks that some people do of when you're having visitors have a pile of washing there ready to be folded and put away? And <laughs> <laughs> Just to some extent. If it, was, <laughs> if it was either one of our mums visiting, then there's not much we could do to stop them doing things like that. <laughs> so... <laughs> That sort of took care of itself. (laughs) ABA has many resources to support dads and partners, grandparents, and anyone who is supporting a growing family. Many things about breastfeeding and raising babies have changed over the years, but the need to support mums and babies has remained. Our booklets, Breastfeeding, Supporting the New Mother, and Breastfeeding, Diet, Exercise, Sex and More, are available for purchase from shop.breastfeeding.asm.au in electronic format for instant download, or you can purchase a physical printed copy to be delivered. You can find them in the pamphlets and booklet section, or use the search bar on the top right-hand side of the page. And while you are there, why don't you download our free e-booklet, Breastfeeding Confidence, a handy quick guide on the essentials of breastfeeding. When you were supporting Mon after the baby was born, you did the bath and that sort of thing to bond with your baby. What about helping her to get more sleep? Yeah, so this is a bit of a story. We started off and we had M in the bassinet and then we sort of looked at everything and read all probably the wrong information or, or whatever, but it's okay, you know, the baby's got to sleep away from you sort of thing. And then Mon was getting up to, you know, during the night, waking up, picking her up. Um, picking Emma up and then putting her back down and that really disrupted her sleep and then what we did was we just ended up co-sleeping 
we sort of just thought about and for me again I, I go back to the evolution aspect of it I think you know if you were 5,000 years ago it's not as if you would sleep under a tree or whatever and pick your baby up and take it 10 meters down the track and put it under another tree <laughs> <laughs> and then go back under your tree and and sleep and no. so I kind of think it's probably a for us, I, well, we decided that it was a natural thing to do. And, yeah, after a bit of trial and error about how exactly we're going to do it, we, it really worked for us. Everyone was uh, everyone was happier. And John now, when he's hungry during the night, he just rolls over and Mon feeds him and we'll go back to sleep. everyone goes back to sleep. And <laughs> Did you access the safe sleeping guidelines? I dare say Mon will look at them. Some of the yeah. safe sleeping guidelines are like don't have a smoker in the bed with you you can't be under the influence of drugs or alcohol or that sort of thing when you're sleeping with a baby and you have to be a bit careful about blankets and all that sort of stuff to make sure mm. that you're all comfortable and nobody gets too hot or too cold and that yes. it's safe that the baby's not going to fall out there's a lot of scary tales told about co-sleeping so it's good to be able to access that and it's on our oh, website breastfeeding.asn.au what about after John arrived, did you do anything different to support Mon in that time? We had a pretty good system working by the time Em was a few months old and so we sort of just reinstated that. The basic outlines of that is we had co-sleeping, you know, I do the baths, you know, make sure Mon's got all the food she needs. Probably the only thing different I did was much more focus on skin to skin. We still do it with Emily, but that's probably the only major difference between Emily and John that focus on skin to skin. Sometimes dads find it a time when they do a lot more bonding with their older child too. Oh, absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Once John was born, Monica just didn't have the hours in the day to, <laughs> to, to um, you know, spend the same amount of time she did with Emily anymore. So that dynamic definitely changed. Me and my eldest got a lot closer after John was born, absolutely. So did you have any other people around that were good supports for you? Yes. One sister and husband live 100 metres away. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah, that was that was fantastic. And I've got a sister who's not too far away and my mum's not too far away. So, yeah, just, just family and, and, and friends. Mon's mum and dad live in Greenwich, which is a bit of a drive away. So mm-hmm. um, I think Mon's mum came down for about a week and a half when John was born, I think, and about the same amount of time when Emily was born. Yeah, just, just yeah helped out and did uh, grandmother things. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes grandparents can be a little interfering and have different ideas about how you should be parenting. You didn't have those issues then? I don't think we had those issues, no. It sounds like as if you've got a really supportive family around you. You don't need to have any problems. But some people do find that their parents parented differently. They didn't breastfeed and they don't know much about it, so they tend to sort of say things like, oh, are you feeding that child again? All those sorts of things. Yeah. So so we didn't have any of those problems that I remember, but definitely generally. I remember we were deciding when to have our second child. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I went around and asked everyone what they thought was the perfect distance between children. Like, you know, do you have them close together? Do you have them far apart? And um, by the end of it, I worked out what the answer was. And the answer was um, whatever they did. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they did it and they didn't like it, so they told you don't do that. Well, yeah, anyone, like uh, most extreme cases, like they had their two children really close together and I was saying, no, this is great because, you you, you know, you have them close together and they're friends and then they grow up and then you get back to doing what you want to do when they go off to school and things like that. 
and the complete opposite. Someone said there was a, like there's eleven or twelve year difference between the two two kids, and I said they were great because I could focus on one and then on the other. And so, yeah. so I think I think it's a strong bias to look back and think of whatever you did worked out all right. And so I think that may be something that older grandparents may think that whatever whatever they did was the right outcome. Yeah. Um, regardless of what the possible alternatives were in any situation. I guess it makes you realise that you have to make your own decisions. Exactly, yeah, you need to make your own decisions. Yeah. Something for dads and partners to support parents to be aware of is that breastfeeding, while it's natural, doesn't always happen, like you said before. Some babies learn quickly and others take a bit longer. So learning how breastfeeding works can really help you to, one, not get the problems, but two, recognise a problem that's coming up and get on top of it really early. We did sort of touch on that before, but it can help you if, if you know what you're talking about or you know what's going on, it can help you solve the problems a lot quicker. And also if you know where you can get information, then you're not sort of stuck thinking, who do I get in touch with? Do I get in touch with Dr Google and find out what's going on? Or do I mm-hmm. ring somebody and ask somebody who probably knows what they're talking about? So the people that you can get accurate information from are the Australian Breastfeeding Association, a breastfeeding counsellor or community educator, your local child health nurse, a lactation consultant or a medical advisor. And we need to support mothers who are having a hard time. And there'll be times when she doesn't really feel up to thinking straight and making decisions like you said before. So we have to be able to help her just listen to her and be aware of what she's going through and maybe just keep things going when she's having a hard time. We can't always solve the problem, but often listening is enough to help. It's a shared problem so it doesn't seem as bad once you've talked it through. Mm. The other thing we need to be aware of is that some mothers can develop postnatal depression and some suffer from anxiety after the birth of the baby. And about one in six mothers or fathers suffer from this, mentioning that that parents, fathers, partners can also suffer from depression and anxiety at this time. You need to be aware that if someone, one or the other of you, feels depressed, sad or anxious for more than two weeks and it is affecting how you can function, then you need to get help. And it can grow slowly, but if it continues for more than two weeks, it's time to do something. We've got some links on our website, which is www.breastfeeding.asn.au. You can talk to a medical advisor or you can talk to Perinatal and Anxiety Depression Australia, which is shortened to PANDA. And they've got a helpline on 1300 726 306 or they've got a website panda.org.au. And... Um, Nobody has to feel bad about asking for help because if you need help, everybody understands and these people are trained to help you with that. So did you have any issues with that at all? We don't have any issues, but yeah, you could easily see how it could happen though. Like it's not, it's a huge change in your life. I think any any situation where you're having that huge change, hmm. there can be a variety of outcomes to it. And so it didn't affect us at any any stage, but in saying that, I think it's a, it can it can definitely be like a natural outcome of the of the process. I think it definitely shouldn't be stigmatized at, at all. And um, yeah, if it, if it happens, then get the help as soon, as soon as you can. Don't feel bad about it either. <laughs> 
I think also partners are the ones that come up and pick that up because you know what your partner is like, you know what they're like, you know whether they change their personality or anything. And you know mm-hmm. that if they need help, you're the one that can probably help them because if they're going through that, they probably can't make that decision themselves. A lot of people mm-hmm. just go down and they just find it hard to reach out and do stuff. So I think that's where partners have an enormously big role to just make sure that they pick up any of those things. It's absolutely no reflection of the person at all, like how much they love their child or or, or anything like that. It's just it's a natural response to a huge life change, which in many situations can be very stressful and traumatic. I mean, that wasn't the case for us, but you could easily see it heading down that path. If it does happen and the partners pick it up, don't feel bad about it. It's just something that needs to go and grab some help. Because sometimes you can feel down for a day or so, but that's not the same as getting depression. So, you know, cheering people up is okay, but, yeah, we need to be aware that it can be more than that. Mm. So what would you like to share with other families who haven't had their babies yet? What sort of stuff would you like them to think about? I just think it's just a wonderful thing. It's most likely only going to happen very, very few times in your life and, mm. yeah, you just need to <laughs> try and enjoy it as much as you can. As far as breastfeeding and, and, and things go, it can be difficult at the start if you don't know exactly what you're doing and we definitely found that with our first child. But once the system works and you know what you're doing, it's, it's such a beautiful, wonderful wonderful thing that's healthy for baby and it's healthy for mum and there's actually one saying that I heard which I I thought sums it up beautifully and that is breastfeeding is like sex it's natural doesn't mean that you know what you're doing the first time (laughs) (laughs) and so um yeah I I, yeah I really like that analogy it is natural but there are things to learn about it and once you get it organized it's it's great but it's also not the same the second time around too because we would find that your first baby has her, her own personality. Your second one has a different personality. And the way Emily breastfed and wanted things and all that might not be the same as what John wants. Absolutely. Well, even even like a, a direct example of that, I suppose, was when Emily breastfed, just say she was upset about something, she fell over or, mm-hmm. you know, something, something like that. Um, Mum would just pick her up and breastfeed her straight away. She would drink. Regardless of, of how emotional she was, whether she'd fallen over or, or whatever or whatever happens, she'd, she'd be drinking, whereas John doesn't do that. He he needs to be calm and then drink. <laughs> and so if, if he falls over, you, you need to comfort him and then once he's pulled himself together, he'll drink after that. And I know one of my um, daughter's partners said to me at one stage that he thought it was really strange when his mother said to him, one of the biggest pieces of advice I'll give you is that this will change. This will pass. Mm. And he said he thought that was a pretty weird thing to say. This was before the baby was born. But afterwards he realised that, yes, you don't have to look at this as this is going to be the rest of your life. Things change all the time. 100%, yeah. Even going probably a step further on that, yes, it will pass, and then at a certain age you'll never get it back again. Like You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's gone forever. I think you can conceptualise that as... Oh yeah! Oh, that's that's over that that part of it, hmm. uh, and then concentrate on the stress, or you can concentrate on the joy and <laughs> take and I, everything that life gives you. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is to remember that with small babies, you can't give them too many cuddles, you can't love them too much, you can't sort of do too much for them. You're not spoiling them. No, You're not absolutely making not. a rod for your own back to comfort them when they need it, to get to 
together with them, to do little things together all the time. And I guess when um, John was born, Emily would have been very excited too. Yeah, no, she was very excited. Yeah, I think she was probably looking <laughs> looking for a sister, not a brother. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose that's another thing, ensuring that they have their own relationship, Emily and John, from the very um, start was something that was important to us. And also making sure you include the older one because you can do often visitors will focus on the baby and forget about the older one and they're used to being the centre of attention. Mm. So it can make a difference to their lives. Well, it does make a big difference to their lives. But Yeah. Yeah, so we have to be careful of the little big feelings in little people, don't we? Yeah, 100%. So if dads or family members around a new mother are looking for ways to get more information and support on this topic or any of the others, they can call the National Breastfeeding Helpline or access live chat at www.breastfeeding.asn.au. And it's not just for mums. Our trained breastfeeding educators are there for dads, partners and everybody. So when we talk on Helpline, we often talk to other family members or interested people and we don't stop, we don't have any problems with talking to other people about it. We've got a booklet, Breastfeeding Supporting a New Mother, which is available for purchase from shop.breastfeeding.asn.au in either physical copy or an electronic download. And that means you can get it instantly too. And there's lots of our booklets that are on the website that you can find that too. So <laughs> parenting a new baby can be tiring and challenging, but it's exciting and it's passes quickly so you need to enjoy it while you've got it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and don't forget to cuddle and your baby and discover what precious unique little person you brought into your life and you need each other as well so you need to maintain your own relationship as well how your baby's fed is important but it's part of the big picture of being a parent and your support for breastfeeding in the mother-baby relationship will make a big difference and there's many ways you can love your baby and your family without giving them milk. And grandparents and the extended family and friends, their support's really important too, to help the mothers get through. So for more information on this topic, you can go to ABA's website at breastfeeding.asn.au and check out the show notes for the link, for a link to this episode's blog post. To speak to a breastfeeding counsellor, call the National Breastfeeding Helpline on 1800 686 268 or you can also use live chat which is available on our website at breastfeeding.asn.au and you can find your local ABA group by visiting our website where you can find lots of breastfeeding information and a link to join the association as a member and um, I guess one of the things that we've learned in the last year is that we can get lots of support online even though we for a lot of us, we haven't been able to meet together personally. So thanks for listening. And thank you, Dan. It's been a good time. No worries. I've enjoyed it very much. <laughs>